This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. With death and taxes, as the old saying goes, there are two certainties in life. And judging by attendance numbers at one of our recent BT Academy webinars, relating these certainties to the area of superannuation is certain to draw a crowd. Hello, I'm Brian Ashenden and I have the pleasure of leaving the BT Technical Services team. A group of qualified individuals who are able to answer any technical advice strategy queries you may have for your clients. Now, in today's podcast, we're going to look at some more into the area of superannuation death benefits. And to do this, I'm joined today by Tim Howard, one of BT's technical services consultants who presented that recent BT Academy webinar. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Always good to be here. All right. Well, let's kick things off then, Tim. So the fundamentals are always important with a topic like this uh, and help set the groundwork for more involved uh, superannuation death benefit issues. So in the new world, or I guess the current world really since the 1st of July 2017, um, what are the key concepts when it comes to superannuation death benefits? It is important, Brian, and whilst we say it's, it's the new world, it's been with us for sort of a number of years now, but to establish the fundamentals, first of all, and, and a question that often comes up with advisors, is that a death benefit needs to be paid out of superannuation. So the first point there is you can't roll a death benefit back to accumulation phase, can't roll it back to the surviving member's own accumulated retirement savings as we used to. Uh, we can't combine a death benefit pension with non-death benefit or the member's own pension. So what does that mean? You're left in a position where if you are choosing to take a death benefit pension, you're eligible to take a death benefit pension, then that pension is going to sit separate or alongside the member's own accumulated funds or the member's own member benefit pension. Uh, now, there are also transfer balance cap implications. Again, transfer balance cap has been with us since 1 July 2017. And the implications here are that if you do take a death benefit pension uh, as a survivor, surviving spouse, for example, that you need to make sure that the client's got transfer balance cap space uh, against which or available to actually accommodate the death benefit pension. So, Often, where you have combined balances that might be close to or over the, the individual's uh, personal transfer balance cap, somewhere between 1.6 and 1.7 million, uh, as it stands today, you might look to strategies such as you know rolling some of their own money uh, from pension phase back to accumulation to free up cap space. Uh, if after doing that, the death benefit still exceeds their personal transfer balance cap, then you're going to be in a position where you need to take the remainder out. Uh, as a lump sum. Finally, total super balance implications as well. We need to think about, uh, the, again, the surviving member. Um, they're going to have more money in superannuation in the event they are starting a death benefit pension. So how is that going to impact uh, contributions for them? How's that going to impact uh, any other superannuation strategies for them when we need to take total super balance into account? Okay, Tim and I... During the session, one of the interactive polls that you posed made reference to the prescribed period, an old period of time uh, that continues to confuse advisors. However, this isn't a consideration anymore, is it? No, it isn't. And it's a poll I ran basically because the prescribed period, or what it used to be, actually relates to rolling death benefits. So under the old uh, pre-1 July 2017 rules, 
after the prescribed period, which in short used to be the later of six months from date of death or three months after the grant of probate, uh, the death benefit could be rolled to another provider. Uh, but only a spouse could do this back at that time. Uh, and also at that time, the, uh, the spouse in this case could also roll that benefit back to accumulation phase. Now, with the prescribed period, I should say, having been removed from legislation, under the current rules, we in a sense have greater flexibility. So while we can't roll the death benefit back to accumulation phase, any death benefit pension recipient can roll their death benefit pension firstly to another provider, uh, which is good. And any lump sum taken at any future point from that death benefit pension will always be considered a death benefit lump sum, so will always be able to be taken tax-free. Okay. Now, some of the questions coming through were also making reference to a prescribed period in relation to reversionary versus a non-reversionary death benefit pension. Now, while there is a time frame, this is different, isn't it? It is. So people were advisors on the call were sort of picking up on the prescribed period and saying, hang on, we still have this sort of 12 months from date of death period uh, in relation to some types of death benefit income streams. So this isn't called or, or isn't the prescribed period we were talking to uh, under the old rules, uh, but they were making reference to the considerations where you have a client who has or is in receipt of a reversionary death benefit pension, so it continued on to them as the survivor versus a client who might be or choose to be in receipt of a death benefit pension, uh, which is where they're perhaps nominated under a binding death benefit nomination, uh, and they've chosen to use some of that money uh, to start a death benefit pension from it. Now, the difference here is going back to those transfer balance cap considerations, where we need to think about uh, you know, when or at what point in time is the surviving spouse going to receive a credit for any particular pension that they're receiving. Now, with a reversionary pension, it'll be the value as at date of death, but they won't receive the transfer balance account credit until 12 months after the date of death. Whereas if they choose or elect to start a death benefit pension with uh, money that's been uh, passed to them via a binding nomination, it is the value on the date they commence that pension. And when they commence it, it'll be an instant credit to their transfer balance cap. Okay, so which type of nomination do you think is best? So which is best really, as with a lot of things with advice, comes down to the client's, you know, unique personal circumstances. And, and the question was posed to be the webinar, actually, which nomination is best? And from my point of view, it, it really firstly depends on uh, the super fund the member's with. So not all super funds will offer all type of nominations. So you might be restricted in the first instance. Um, at that level. Um, certainly with a reversionary death benefit pension, there's a degree of predictability there. There's some certainty for the surviving spouse that they will continue to get those pension payments uh, following the, the death of their uh, late husband, late wife, late partner. Um, so that predictability uh, might, might have an edge uh, there as well. You'll also know what the credit value will be, being the value at date of death, and you also know that in 12 months uh, that will credit their transfer balance account. But there's still a degree of flexibility and certainty if you choose to start a death benefit pension via a binding nomination because you, to a degree, 
can choose when you commence it. You can choose the value for which you commence it. Uh, and you know with certainty that when you start it for that value on that day, you're going to get a transfer balance account credit. So when it comes to, to which is best, I'd certainly let the advisor decide because there are advantages really for both. And it comes down to what the client is really looking to achieve. Okay, so it's definitely not set and forget when it comes to pension nominations, though, is it? There's still that nuance you shared when it comes to contribution planning, which is probably worth another mention, how you still need to consider a client's total super balance. Yes, your total super balance affects several things. It's not just your ability to make non-concessional contributions, you know, which effectively cuts off when you've got greater than 1.7 million in super. We've also got the consideration around an ability for someone to use uh, carry forward unused concessional contributions. That's a total super balance eligibility criterion of $500,000. And then the somewhat forgotten work test exemption. If you've got a client in a position where they want to utilize that, they've got to have less than 300,000 total superannuation balance. Now, let me put it to you this way through an example. Where we have a a reversionary pension, uh, we know we're not going to get a credit to the transfer balance account of that reversionary pension uh, until 12 months after date of death. So, you might have a client that passes away, uh, say this month, February 2023, um, they get a million dollar Uh, reversionary account-based pension from their late spouse. And we're comfortable that we don't really need to worry about transfer balance cap issues until uh, February 2024. But what isn't often realised is as we sail through 30th of June 2023, that whilst that account-based pension hasn't yet credited the survivor's transfer balance account, uh, it will count towards their total super balance at 30 June and will impact some of those contribution eligibility, work test exemption eligibility, and so forth, uh, from 1 July next financial year. So whilst there's a delay on the credit, we still need to take into account the uh, impact any pension, any reversionary pension might have on a client's total super balance. Now, this is important to note, um, the the calculation for total super balance um, is a little bit different when we're talking about defined benefits versus uh, account-based pensions. So, this is relevant. What I've stated is relevant for account-based pensions, but uniquely, the value of a defined benefit pension uh, for your transfer balance account is based on when the credit value appears. So, if it was a reversionary defined benefit pension, um, you wouldn't be in the same position just for completeness on that. All right. So, finally, obviously, dependents um, truly matter. And you had a list of beneficiaries uh, on one of your slides during the presentation showing lump sums, income streams, and respective tra- tax treatments. Um, what are the main call-outs you make in that area? So, the main call-outs here would be we've got to make sure we know who's an eligible dependent, firstly, from a superannuation point of view versus from a tax point of view. So, to receive a superannuation benefit direct from a super fund, you've got to meet the definition of being a, a CIS or a superannuation dependent. Now, within that category, most, if not all, superannuation dependents can receive a lump sum, uh, but only some will be eligible to receive an income stream benefit uh, with your spouse uh, being at the top of that list. Um, From a taxation point of view, if you meet the definition of being a tax dependent, uh, you would receive the taxable component 
tax-free, whereas if you don't meet the definition of being a tax dependent, um, you would need to pay tax on the, on the taxable component of any lump sum death benefit that you received. So again, the, the definition of a superannuation dependent and a tax dependent don't always align. Uh, finally, who pays tax? Like I said, the lump sum uh, tax rates are different to the income stream tax rates uh, from a tax rate point of view. And then from a dependency point of view, uh, particularly with income streams, um, a concept that a lot of advisors maybe don't realise, first of all, is that it comes down to your age and the age of the deceased as to whether a death benefit pension uh, is going to be tax-free or not to the survivor. In short, the way to answer that, if the deceased was over 60 uh, or the recipient of the income stream was over 60, uh, that is when you will get the death benefit income stream tax-free. If neither of them were over 60, then taxable components are going to be at the marginal rate uh, with a 15% tax offset. And what about child death benefit beneficiaries? We did. So uh, perhaps less common, but we did go into child death benefit beneficiaries just sort of the back end of the webinar, mainly because it is uh, a little bit of a more complex area that I think a lot of people do do realise without having you know gone through trying to set one up uh, perhaps for their clients. From a lump sum point of view, fairly straightforward. A child can get reasonably a death benefit lump sum uh, if they're dependent or under eighteen, uh, under twenty five and dependent, they can receive that tax free. Adult child generally going to pay tax on it. When we're looking at children receiving dependent children receiving uh, death benefit income streams becomes a little more complex where we have actually a cap increment, as they call it, a calculation to work out what is the maximum amount a child can receive as a child death benefit uh, income stream. So in short, if a deceased uh, parent had no transfer balance account, the children, the child or the children may receive a death benefit uh, up to the general transfer balance cap at the time uh, or a portion of the general transfer balance cap corresponding to their share of the death benefit interest. Now, if the deceased had a transfer balance account, uh, any children may receive a death benefit pension based on their nominated share of the deceased retirement phased pension. And they're unable in this case to take any pension from any accumulation phase interest uh, that the parent might have. Now, as you can probably appreciate beyond that, I'd probably need a whiteboard or at least a PowerPoint slide to show you how all of this does work. Um, or really, I'd recommend any advisor in this position simply to give our team a call uh, and we can work through the specifics of the scenario with them. All right. Well, look, thanks, Tim. And thanks for your insights today. Uh, and for those advisors who miss seeing your webinar, uh, or even for those who want to go back and revisit a few of the key messages, can they still access it? They sure can. Simply just need to head to bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series, where you can find the recordings of all of our previous webinars, not just the one I ran last week. If you watch them on demand, importantly, you can still receive your CPD points for them. And while you're there, make sure you register for any of our future upcoming webinars as well. Yeah, speaking of which, our next fortnightly session is scheduled for midday Australian Eastern Summertime on Wednesday the 15th of February when Michael Tran, also from our BT Technical Services team, will be presenting on the impacts of the indexation of the superannuation thresholds that take effect from the 1st of July 2023. Uh, and in that session, he will consider which thresholds may or may not be indexed 
how to determine a client's personal transfer balance cap after the indexation, commencing retirement phase pensions before or waiting uh, for the change to occur, and making contributions now or waiting uh, until after the change. And again, I think that'll address some of the issues that Tim brought up uh, today and in that webinar. So remember that to register for that session or to watch Tim's session on superannuation death benefits, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Now, Tim, again, thanks for joining us. And did you have any other final comments? No, pleasure. Good to be here today, Brian. Uh, the only other comment, as always, if you have any strategy-related questions for your clients, you're welcome to call our team on one 655 901 or send us an email via technical at btfinancialgroup.com. Uh, great reminder, Tim. Thanks for that. And thanks for your contribution today and to all our listeners. Remember to check back each week for our latest podcast topics. Until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory, and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations, or needs.